Hello, I'm Dr. Gloria Horsley, and I'm her daughter, Dr. Heidi Horsley. Heidi and I want to welcome you to Open to Hope Conversations, the podcast. We believe that the greatest gift you can give yourself after a loss is hope, using this moment to connect with others who have not only survived, but thrived. So let's get started. Welcome to the Open to Hope show. I'm your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley, with my daughter and co-host, Dr. Heidi Horsley. Well, Heidi, uh, we are going to have a wonderful uh, person on the show today who's done some great things uh, in helping with advocacy, and we're going to talk about healing through advocacy. Do you want to introduce our guest? Absolutely, Mom. Our guest knows a lot about healing through advocacy. Her name is Ruth Merkel. Due to the circumstances surrounding the murder of her son, Dan, Ruth has appeared on 2020, Inside Edition, and Dateline NBC. She also participated in the hit podcast, Over My Dead Body, by Wondery. In 2016, Ruth was cut off from her grandsons. Ruth used advocacy to inspire the Florida State Legislature to pass a grandparent visitation bill known as the Markle Act. In 2023, Ruth was awarded the 2023 Agnes Furry Victim Survivor of the Year, as part of the National Crime Victims' Rights Week. Ruth has a book that she has written called The Unveiling, A Mother's Reflection on Murder, Grief, and Trial Life. Welcome to our podcast, Ruth. Oh, thank you so much. I'm really delighted to be here. And I really, really appreciate the idea that you have an emphasis on hope. And, uh, and, I, and it's a very strong message because as everybody says to me, and I'm sure a lot of your other people and yourselves, they don't know how I got out of bed. So I, I, I think that this is a very important part of recognizing people should acknowledge their grief, stay as long as they need to be in grief. But my sort of adventure, let's call it, is from grief to advocacy. Your son, Dan, was murdered by a hitman. In nine years already. It was 20, July 2014. So you, it's really quite a process because uh, a lot of trials been on and a lot going on. So you've had to go through a lot. What's the difference between just a sudden death and uh, a murder? There's a, there is a lot, a big difference. And let me tell you a little bit. I did write a book called The Unveiling, and it's a mother's reflection on murder, grief, and trial life. And one of the reasons I wrote the book was, the first one was to talk about my experience in only starting grief at the point of a ritual of having an unveiling, which is when a tombstone is put on the gravesite. But the second reason, and the more important one, is to really open the curtains, lift the veil, and show the public what it's like to be in the trial life. And this story, as thank you for the introduction, it has glitz and glory and so forth, but homicide does not discriminate. Let me just quickly tell the audience about Dan. He sure. was a law professor. He was a kid that grew up knowing that he wanted to go to an Ivy League school. He had three in mind and he applied to them and got into Harvard and went and was a huge overachiever and an incredible kid and an incredible man, just to put it out there <laughs> for our audience. Because as you said, homicide does not discriminate. A homicide survivor, that's what we are. We're homicide survivors, which is a psychological term relating to sudden death. With this sudden death of a homicide, you have many times, and I was one of them, 
where you're numb, you don't, you're not able to cry right away. And you have something which is described in, in some of the now new research as grief spasms. It's not grief waves, it's spasms. All of a sudden something happens and, and you're viscerally changed and go into that grief, grief moment. It can last, I only had one of those, but it did last for one or two days. But what's more important is not just the homicide survivor, which is what I call the psychological, you're now a victim, a victim in the criminal system. And that's another whole interaction. This is different than other deaths because it's long-term. So the victim experience, how it differs from other experiences related to death is that you have to be in the criminal system for a very long time. And that's why I call the book, The Trial Life. And it just deals with the roller coaster of hearings, the roller coaster of appeals, the roller coaster of changes, they call continuances, they should really say postponements, but it means that's what it is. There's trials are not happening. And we have five or six plus going through the pandemic. So the trial life is a combination of the psychological of being a survivor of homicide and the interaction with the criminal system. And just to give you an example, how this works, just a few months ago and one of the school shootings, the, the, um, the person who was the offender, he didn't get the death penalty. And all the people who had participated in the hope of this particular shooter getting the death penalty, they were devastated again. So they went back to, this was the Parkland experience in Florida. They went back to that earlier position of starting a grief all over again. And it's complicated, and that's what the uniqueness is. It's the combination and the interaction of being a survivor in the home of a homicide, and then dealing with criminal life and the justice system, really, all the, all the time. What did you do early on? Early on, with like many people, I like I was shattered, right? The, you know the whole experience, um, and then I also had. Uh, another problem, which became after some of the arrests. So the there was the Dan was murdered in twenty in twenty fourteen. The arrest occurred in twenty sixteen. Following that, uh, we were cut off from seeing our grandchildren, and it was at that point that I, for the first time, really got physically ill, meaning I had a fib and so forth. The grandchildren, on top of the loss of the grandchildren, on top of the murder was a very difficult moment for me. But what happened was I decided to become very active on the grandchildren issue. My son's murder, my son's death, I, I couldn't do anything about it. You can't reverse it. But the grandchildren, you can reverse. So first we tried uh, to see the grandchildren. Be through the lawyers behind the scenes, nothing happened. Then um, uh, Phil, that's Dan's father and the grandfather, we went on. ABC 2020, we went on Dateline. We had access because of Dan's profile. Then after Garcia's trial in 2019, I was in Tallahassee. And here's sometimes miracles happen, uh, you know, and so forth. I was in a hairdresser and it was, the trial was all over all national TV. And I'm in a hairdresser, this young girl walks, woman walks up to me and says, can I give you a hug? And I say, well, sure. And then she says, I would like to meet you for coffee afterwards. I said, well, of course. Then she says to me, what can I do for you? And I've been sitting on this grandparent alienation for three years because I was waiting for the trial. I was not psychologically ready, but suddenly I said, grandparent alienation. And she said, done. 
what does that mean? We created a community. We used social media. Through her contacts, we got lobbyists. You have to be persistent. And sometimes when you're grieving, you don't have that energy to be persistent. So the next thing in a circumstance of advocacy, create a community around you. Create mm -hmm. advisors. Use them. I would say the most important message besides creating the community is being open, being really open to learning on the spot. And we were fortunate in January 2022, we were able to get the legislation passed and it became the Markell Act. Ruth, you had to find the right people and also teach yourself. And they had, you know, you worked as a team, but they educated you and you had to teach yourself through education about how to be an advocate and how to get bills passed and what you needed to do. Yes. And here I'm sitting in Toronto, a Canadian. And right. this is in the Florida, in the Florida legislature. Wow. I could stop now, but I'm not, meaning now I'm doing what I call intentional advocacy, which is the next step in continuing to allow the public, it's really for the public, how are you going to plan what the families can do as a result of school shootings? I'm working with therapists, and I'm also working a lot with lawyers. Sensitivity to compassion. The lawyer has to understand where is the person in the criminal system. You can describe your terms and so forth, but if you don't understand how psychologically traumatized that victim or homicide survivor is, none of your legal work is going to be that effective when you're communicating. So it's a whole question of continuing in what I'm calling today intentional advocacy, also positive well-being, where I'm helping people shift and pivot from being stuck in whatever the situation could be of their loss and how after you give yourself time, I don't rush anybody. It can be two, three, five years. But the point is when you say to yourself that you can do something more, my new mantra, so to speak, is don't get lost in the loss. Don't so get lost in lost the loss. Is a loss. Don't get L-O-S-T in the loss, L-O-S-S. Okay, I want to know how Ruth's taking care of herself. Personal life, well, I did spend, I have to tell you, it was really nice. I have a what we call a country home, a second home. I spent most of the summer up north, which was very good. I went swimming in the morning, two times a week after swimming. I went for massage and an osteopath treatment because I know I needed those. After mm -hmm. the last trial, my body literally locked. So now mm -hmm. I know that I have to anticipate the trial is traumatic. So now I'm working as much as I can uh, psychologically, but physically. For me, I think it's really important, right. uh, more physical preparation. So and, Ruth, what is unique about having a child murdered versus a different type of loss? What is unique about that or what is different? The long-term effect of going through the criminal system. Okay. Number one. The violence, okay, the mm -hmm. sudden violence has a different psychological, seeing the offenders right in front of you. Mm -hmm. And what does it feel like? And part of the court process, which I don't stay in because I don't want to hurt myself. I don't stay in for the autopsies. I don't stay in for the medical examiner reports, but they're right there. You're figuring out what can I do and what do I choose not to do? And what would you recommend to people who are have to go to the court the very first time. I found out the witness list. There's a process. Let me suggest it. You can work with many of the courts today have victim liaison people who work with the families. 
and you find out what the list of witnesses are and and who is what I choose to leave. Other family members of mine don't always choose. They put their head down. How I mourn is I go to the cemetery and I visit them. That's my way of really doing my grief, let's call it my quiet, quiet periods. Is there something different that you do now to take care of yourself that you didn't do that first couple of years? Well, I think I think for me, yes, I'll tell you what I think I'm doing. Uh, writing the book, you know, people ask if it was cathartic. It was not cathartic. The book was very hard to deal to write because you're dealing with your old wounds. But what is more for me, this is my 10th book. I wrote a lot on women's leadership and advancement before. So public speaking, talking like this, this is helpful for me. This, I believe it's like, I'll say it in my own words, it's like the old Ruth is back, meaning... Mm -hmm. I did this in my professional work for 40 odd years. And now in doing it in this capacity, it's very sad, it's very personal, but the idea really of helping the public and doing those kinds of uh, you know talks, um, this to me, I believe is, is where it's working. Yeah, I, I remember early on, you know, it's been uh, 40 years since my son died and um, I remember the most important things for me as time went on is to feel confident, you know, and feel useful and feel, you know, find my own voice again was an important thing, but it takes time. And uh, wow, what a process you've gone through. It reminds me a bit of Candy Leitner who started Mothers Against Drunk Drivers. Yes, mm -hmm. kind of turned your grief outward to advocacy. Yeah. Which is which is phenomenal and, and, and in the process changed lives and changed legislation. Is that your law only in Florida? Because I would guess that there are people who meet you that want to do it in their state. Oh, they yeah. are, but but Florida had the most restrictive restrictive grandparent legislation. Other places, it's not so bad. New York, Massachusetts, parts of Canada. So it depends where you are, but they vary from state to state. Thank you so much for being on the show today, and good luck with everything you're doing. It's a uh, very impressive and. Uh, Wow, I wish you a lot of luck. What a journey. Thank you so much. And you keep up your journey. I think it's important as well. You're really doing, it's a public service to, yeah. you know, just keep it going. Absolutely. Ruth, I love your passion and your commitment. And I read something which is so true. It said you've been hailed for your relentless quest for justice. Keep fighting the good fight. Thank you Thank so you. much. Thank you also for all of your support. Thank you, Ruth. Well, thanks everybody for joining us on the show today. And Heidi and I always want to remind you that if you've lost hope, please lean on ours until you find your own and God bless. I'm Dr. Heidi Horsley. You have been listening to Open to Hope, the podcast. You can follow Open to Hope on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. To learn more, visit us at opentohope.com and go to Apple Podcasts to subscribe. I'm Dr. Gloria Horsley. Join us again next week for another Open to Hope conversation, where we invite you to lean on our hope until you find your own.